Welcome to Stay at Home, Mom, with your illustrious host, Leslie Goodgesell, mother to six beautiful daughters, wife to an amazingly hardworking and supportive husband, homeschooler, and homesteader in the making. Join me on this journey, this blessing of what motherhood looks like. Know or have met someone that has suffered from traumatic loss of a pregnancy or just traumatic loss in general. That's something that we're going to talk about on today's episode of Stay at Home, Mom. All right, welcome to this episode of Stay at Home, Mom with Leslie Goodgesell. This week, I have invited my beautiful friend from Michigan. She has written an amazing book titled From Graves to Gifts, The Power of His Presence in the Waves of Grief. And I wanted to share it with everyone for a few reasons. One, because my friend Jess is absolutely amazing. She has a powerful way with words that make you feel heard and seen, especially if you've walked through any of the experiences that she has. It gives you an instant connection with someone and you feel so much less alone in that moment, that present moment that you're experiencing. But also because she is a believer and she loves the Lord with everything in her and her entire life's mission is to be his hands and feet, to show people the love that she experiences and to lead people to him. And because those are her two incredibly powerful gifts, she's personable and makes everyone feel heard and loved. And I'm going to cry because I absolutely adore her. (laughs) I wanted to share her book with you and introduce her. A little bit of history. I met Jess at a church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, while her pastor at the time had been there for a ministry. And I believe you all got hired at the same time. Yeah, he got hired and I just was a bonus. (laughs) Him and his family moved up here and I was already ministering with them. So where they go, I went. Which was amazing because then I was able to meet you and we became roommates and we lived together for a while and we've kind of been through a few different life seasons together. So it's amazing. So with all of that, welcome to my podcast, Jess. I'm so happy you're here. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. You have been through some serious things in your life. You've walked a lot of different journeys, I feel like, in just one lifetime. <laughs> You've gone through. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you really <laughs> have. You are so good at loving people. Every single person that I've ever met who knows you is like, just makes you feel like your family. And you do. You are so good at that. And so when I saw you put this book out, I instantly ran to Amazon and bought it. (laughs) I thought, I have to read that. I don't even know what it's about. I don't even know what she wrote about right now, but I need to read what she wrote because I lived with you and I was blessed to be able to have conversations with you every day and hear your heart and what you were walking through, and what your prayers were, and what you were petitioning the Lord for. And knowing that side of you, and even though it's been 20 years since we've lived together or longer. I can't believe that. I know, right? (laughs) Even though it's been a long time, I know that part of who you are has never changed. So I definitely wanted to share this, especially since once I read it, I realized it was an experience that both of us had actually walked through. And it's something that I believe a lot of people are trying to bring to the forefront of women's health 
and our journey of motherhood. Yeah. It's very impactful. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your book? Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm proud of you. I want to say that first of all, and on all you've accomplished and all your uh, passion for life and the way that you do life. I've loved watching your journey. And it is funny to think about us being roommates 20 plus years ago. Because I don't know what happened. It feels like yesterday. I remember you guys used to make me keep my dad's voice recorded because we didn't have digital back then. It was like on a yep. <laughs> because he was from Arkansas and he had this thick accent. You Michiganders just loved it. It was adorable. <laughs> I keep my dad's messages forever. And he always did my dishes. And I come down to the kitchen, I'd be like, stop doing my dishes. You're going to resent me. And you're like, it's my choice. And I don't resent you. <laughs> yes, I love you. I want to help. <laughs> You did. You loved me. Well, you know, I'm writing this book right now, but about three years ago, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and I almost died. And I had this moment when I woke up and just this immense sense of relief that I was still alive. And I remember thinking, I can't believe I almost met the Lord and I hadn't done these things. And there were three things that stuck right out to me. It was like, you just, you wake up from almost dying and you're like, know what I got to do. Before that happens again, I know what I got to do. One of them was that I almost took my stories with me. And if I had passed away, my daughter would not have known what, if she ever goes through what I went through, she wouldn't know that I had gone through it. She wouldn't know how I got through it. You know, when I was learning how to write a book, because that's, you know, I can write an essay. When I'm talking about writing chapters, that's something like, I'm not sure I know how to do that. So it took me a while to get my mind wrapped around it. But one of the things they said is, you got to know your audience. Like, who are you writing this book to? Right. And so I started by trying to write to women, but it was too broad of an audience. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write this book like I'm writing it to my daughter, who may very well go through this thing one day. And I want her to know how I got through it. And I want her to know everything. I want her to know the nitty gritty. I don't. If I'm not here to help her through it, I want her to feel like when she reads this book, I'm here helping her through it. And so maybe that's why it feels so personal, because it was a really personal purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I do want to say that, ladies, that we are these, we come through so much life experience, and it makes, even though sometimes it really hurts and it's hard, and sometimes it looks ugly and unfair and unjust, when we come out of it still leaning on our beloved, who is Jesus, we still come out of it like that. There's something brilliant and wonderful and beautiful, and we need to leave that story behind. People have to know your story. So whatever that looks like, whether you're telling it to everybody or you journal it or you put it in a blog or whatever, like your voice matters, your experience matters. Don't take your stories with you. I think that's so that was one reason why. And, it, you know, it's funny because I knew there are two stories I wanted to leave behind, and this is one of them. And then my journey with cancer is another. So when I started this book, um, I was like, everybody wanted to write, me to write about my health journey, but I didn't feel confident in it yet. And I was like, no, God's brought me through this miscarriage. I know I can do that. Right. So it was funny because it made me really sit down and go back through it and think about how all the things that came to it. But, you know, I really feel like the Holy Spirit just helped me. It happened um, It happened when I was in the shower because it's been a, a lot of time in the shower when I was sick, right? And so when... um. I was in the shower and I just remember being in the shower the morning that I was going to go deliver. And just how how excruciating 
it was. I remember thinking in that shower, I'm just, I'm a living tomb. Yeah. But, right. How do I have something that was supposed to be alive dead inside of me? And it's been dead inside, you know, he or she has been dead inside of me and I didn't know. And so I felt this betrayal by my body. I felt like, where in the world have you been, Lord? Like, why didn't you inform me of what was happening? Yeah. And I think yeah. maybe small ways there were, uh, there were things, there were signs, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking that way, you know, like when I'm pregnant, I dream really crazy dreams. Like I, it's like, I don't even get rest. I sleep and I'm totally active in my head in another world. <laughs> and those dreams had stopped, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think they were signs, but they weren't obvious signs, you know, but I just remember in that shower, thinking about that delivery that I was going to have to do that day was overwhelming. And I just remember being bent over in the shower and it was like, you you know, when you cry so hard, you can't breathe in mm-hmm. and you're, I don't know, your eyes just feel like they're never going to open again. They're shut tight so hard. Uh, and that's when I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time since um, I got the news the day before and he said, stop. He said, my grace is sufficient for you every step of the way, but you cannot grieve this moment that hasn't happened yet. Mm. First, let's just get out of the shower. And so that's how the rest of the day went. You know, I just, I got through the shower. I got dressed. We got to the hospital. When we were in the car, Matt was like, let's pray before we go in. He goes, how do you want me to pray? And I said, you know, I want you to pray for a miracle that will go in and this baby will have a heartbeat. I said, I don't know if God would really do that or not for me, but I at least want to ask. I at least want to know I did everything I could, right, to fight for him or her. I didn't know them. And um, so he prayed that way. And I remember going up to the delivery floor and um, standing at the desk for registration, and I just could barely get the words out, you know. I think I kept my sunglasses on <laughs> inside the hospital. I, I could barely get the words out. And I think the lady figured out what was going on. And she put me in that room. And just the journey that God took me through that journey, it took me 16 hours to deliver just from that shower to the point of leaving the hospital to the point of the funeral. And then all the time afterwards, that process of grief and grieving. And that was the first time I'd ever really experienced loss that was traumatizing like that. It was a little book that I found that was like a roadmap for me. And uh, I just leaned hard into it. And the Holy Spirit just met me in that empty nursery. He walked me through step by step. You know, the book is not specific in the title about miscarriage, because I really feel like what he brought me through in that grief has worked in terms of me facing grief that I would have in the future. And that would necessarily be just around the loss of a child, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I use the story of losing, we named him Eli Zacchaeus. I think that grief can be something that really causes us to lose our way. And it doesn't have to. I agree. I think grief in general, especially for believers, is something that they really struggle with because they often feel guilty for grieving because we should have hope in eternal life, right? So we shouldn't grieve as deeply. And I think a lot of people struggle with feeling as if it's wrong or that they're dishonoring the Lord by doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about your book, that you incorporated scripture and truth in it that said, hey, like he understands this. It's not something that he's disconnected from at all. You know, we still have hope on the other side of it, but he understands the grief. 
Yeah. And he wants to comfort us through it. And I think that was the whole reason when Yeshua was raised from the dead and he said, you know, I'm going to leave you this helper because let's be real, you're going to need it, right? Because I'm not going to be here to comfort you anymore. I'm not going to be here. Like we talked about before, about Peter walking out on the water, right? Mm -hmm. And him being enveloped into the Lord's arms and being like, don't let me go. Don't let me go. I don't want you to ever let me go. And he's saying, hey, I'm leaving this comforter here because you will never be let go. You know, when when Yeshua was baptized and he rose, John described it as the spirit descending like a dove upon him and it remained on him. Mm-hmm. I think that's something a lot of believers forget that, you know, when the spirit descends upon us, when we receive that eternal life and that hope and that Yeshua becomes our savior, that that spirit doesn't leave us. That comforter never leaves us. Even in those moments of grief, when we feel so far away, and I feel like you expressed that so well in this book, and any woman that has ever walked through grief of losing a child, whether it be through miscarriage, and I have friends who have lost children to car accidents, to cancer, to all different forms of loss, right? There's not just one way we lose people we love. I think all of them would benefit and feel less alone by reading your words because they are so raw and so true. You know, um, when we lost Eli, um, you know, we're in the ministry, you know, we're giving our all. There's all kinds of sacrifices that we're making. And to us, it's not a sacrifice. You know, it's just the joy of serving the Lord. And then to have that happen, it just felt like such a blow, you know, Mm -hmm. like I couldn't. I think that's one thing people do is they deny the feeling that they think it's not fair because it's wrong to think it's not fair, right? Or something like that. And also, I think John 10.10, the way we've been raised to think about what abundant life is, what Jesus meant that you know, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you good stuff, right? Right. So then we get handed these really traumatic, excruciating, unjust, you know, you think, give me the cancer. I'll die. Just don't make my child suffer. Mm-hmm. Like, all these, like, these feelings that rise up in you because your kids are so personal to you. You know, I look at what God did with Jesus and he surrendered him to the cross. And I think, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. And I don't know if that's selfish love or if that's motherly love or what. But, you know, I remember once after I started recovering from cancer, we were at this private school that my kids go to. And my little guy got out in front of me. And dude, I have not run like in two years. (laughs) But there was this, you know, we live in Michigan. We drive big trucks around here. Yeah. There was this big truck coming down the aisle of the parking. And I knew he wouldn't be able to see Beniah. Mm-hmm. And I remember in a flash that, and I couldn't talk because my voice was gone from the cancer. And I remember it, it was just a split second decision. I thought that will kill me if it hits me, but at least Benaya will live. Right. And that's more important to me than me living without Benaya. So I ran out there and I grabbed him and thank God the driver did see him. So he slammed on his brakes and everything was okay. But I swooped an eye up. I ran across the parking lot and I put him in the van and I just sat there and I was like, I didn't think twice. I, I didn't even take, it was like a millisecond of a decision. Either my son lives or I live and I'm not willing to live without him. So if it means that I don't live, that means that he, that, that okay, whatever it takes. Right. Because I was so frail and I was so sick. And um, 
I think, you know, God, we get to be parents to understand how he feels about us. We get to be parents to understand the depth of his love that he went to for us. You know, as I'm even just sitting here talking about it with you, I think, you know, says that Jesus didn't love his life, Mm -hmm. you know, but that it's almost like he, that's what he did for us. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather live with you than, you know, you die and I live without you. Right. So, you know, I think, oh, sorry, we're talking about grief. I'm getting back to that point. (laughs) John 10, 10, that's where we are. Sorry, I got lost in that for a second. I feel free to edit. But um, with John 10, 10. You know, I think we think abundant life looks like a life lack of lacking in suffering. And if I'm doing well and I'm doing well for the Lord, then the abundant life is that my life is a reflection of what your life could be like if you were with Christ. You know, break things go well, your kids grow up, they're strong, they're healthy, they make good decisions, they're role models. You know, you go on to be influential in your life and do something amazing because that's abundant life. And so when when tragedy happens to us, sometimes I think that scripture gets in the way. Mm. And I think what I've learned through these losses that I've walked through is that, you know, how, how, how can abundant life mean that when Jesus says, in this life, you will have troubles? And many of them. And yeah, in this life, it's going to suck. But I've overcome the world. And I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right. <laughs> have <laughs> hope. <laughs> yeah, have hope. This is going to be hard, but have hope. And I think we can get in that place where we blame God in those places of grief. And it's hard to get past it if you don't stay leaned into his presence, if you're not willing for to let him rewire your thoughts, rebuild your box that you've got him in. Yeah. Almost like in those moments of grief, we have to let him reintroduce himself to us because who we think he was up until that moment doesn't fit that encounter. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think so. so. Yeah. And that that is how you go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. You get a deeper understanding of his true character as you walk through those hard moments and those difficult, painful, life-altering things. Mm-hmm you get a greater understanding of the joy we are to him. Until that point, I feel like it's kind of superficial. Yeah. Yeah. Until you walk through those things and you experience loss or hardship or whatever it may be, because let's be real, it looks different all the time, whether it's Mm -hmm. financial hardship, whether it's losing a job or losing a family member or losing a house or an animal, literally anything. He has every opportunity to to change our hearts and our perspective and how we view the world. But until we walk through those hard things and we press into him, our relationship to him is extremely superficial. Yeah. I feel like the more, you know, not that I'm looking for tragedy at every turn of the way, and it doesn't find me, you know. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But um, I just, I feel like the gift that I have to give to the world of Jesus inside of me is much more meaningful because of what I've come through than before. Mm. When I was young, I think people would have defined me a lot, a lot like you did, zealous and passionate. And, you know, I was influential. And I, and I you know, I, I have the gift of knowing a lot of the people that I was engaged with when they were teenagers. I'm blessed by, by how much the Lord used me in their lives, right? But I think, you know, that was tried to some extent. You know, I mean, my faith was tried to some extent in my early 20s. But, you know, compared to what I've been through since then, I think what I've encountered and how Jesus has brought me through it, it's built that endurance in me. You know, like the enemy can throw anything he wants at me. And I already know 
that I know that I know that I know that I will not abandon him. Right. Because of who I've learned of him to be. And because of that endurance that I, yeah, I've allowed him to build in me, even through these really tragic moments, well, the gifts that I have to give to the world of Jesus inside of me is so different than the untried gift that I have before. Absolutely. It's kind so, of like Job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he loved the Lord. It says that at the beginning of the book, he loved the Lord. And that's why the enemy said, hey, can I sift him? You know, and then James tells us that the Lord never tests us, but he definitely gives the enemy the ability to test us to yeah. prove where our faith is. It's kind of how it went for Job. I mean, he lost everything, but his resolve never. I mean, there were moments where he was like, really, Lord? Really? Like, are you Just sure? Kill me. <laughs> like, I would rather die. Like, yeah. stop taking my kids. Exactly like you said, like you would rather lose your own life than live without your children. And that was real in Job. He said that the Lord had a purpose for him. And look at how the testimony of his life. Could you imagine if his life was never shared? Can you imagine if that was never written out for us to know so that we could know in those moments when we felt completely lost and alone? A lot of times I think you just feel alone, like nobody else has ever walked this path. Yeah. Which is not true, but it feels that way. Those feelings are real and it gives us hope at the end of it all and definitely increases our understanding and our resolve in our relationship with him yeah because i feel the same way you know when we walked through what we did with sophia we learned a lot about scripture and about faith in that 28 days that we dealt with her in the hospital and Mm -hmm. the miracles that we saw come forth from that faith which i definitely do not even attribute to our faith as her parents, but really her faith, because that's what we continued to pray the whole time was, hey, she had the faith. She said, this is what you were going to do. You have to honor her faith. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) I've got to the point where I think, even if, even if I don't see it, even if I don't know how it's going to work out, I know that you want what's best for me. And the road to get there may be really hard, but you're still with me. You're not going to leave me. You're not going to forsake me. You're going to continue to ask me to stand up and be courageous and face it with joy, even in the moments where I think I just want to not be joyous. Right? (laughs) I don't want to have joy. I want to be miserable. Yeah. You know, um, and Isaiah, I know it's in the book. I don't have the reference right in front of me, but it talks about how... um, Somebody's going to lead someone out of somewhere, probably God leading the Israelites out of some kind of horrible judgment they've gotten themselves into. But um, it says, you know, that I'm going to give you treasures uh, out of darkness. Yes. You know, I remember prior to that miscarriage, I started reading Ann Boss Camp. Um, I can't remember how I came upon her book, but I just, I got, like, it was like you, one of those books where you open it and the Holy Spirit just starts moving on your life so fast. All you did was read the title and you're weeping. Yeah. And that was like that for me. And every time I read the book, it was like that, you know. But she said some, said a couple things in that book that really were like game changers in the way I thought about grief and sorrow and things like that. She said, um, all life begins in the dark. Yeah. Babies begin in the womb in the dark. Seeds begin to live. And she's like, even creation was born out of darkness. And I was really uncomfortable with that. I did not like the thought that God would use the darkness to bring about light. And I remember I'm out there gardening and I'm just thinking about all this and <laughs> traumatizing my boys, making them pick up hundreds of rocks. 
<laughs> I got lots of lots of lessons from the Lord in gardening that year. <laughs> I've been gardening since then. That's a lot of work. A lot of luck then. I should have wrote a book about that. It was the first time where I started thinking, you know, maybe all this brokenness isn't just the devil trying to get me. I mean, I think sometimes it is. And, I, you know, I think devil bad, God good, right? Right. I get that. And I believe that. But he allows the testing of our faith. And I think the thing that I found is whatever I think I've lost, the eternity of it is the promise. The eternity of the thing that I thought I lost is the promise. Mm. Like in losing Eli, I just, I felt bereft. Like, that, like there's nothing to replace it. There's this hole that can't be filled. Like, you know, like he's just gone and maybe I'll see him in heaven someday. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. You know, he was 15 weeks developed, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to see when I get there. Or just this mental ascension, this mental agreement with, yeah, sure, I keep babies in heaven and I'm going to see him one day. And, but not really, it's not really personal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And the Lord gave me that promise that he'd given me the promise of childhood and eternity. Essentially, the best things about childhood that I loved in my kids, he had saved up for me in eternity. So, you know, when we, those treasures out of darkness... I think a part of the treasure is that no matter what we believe we've lost, the gift of what we feel like we lost is is wrapped up for us in some promise from the Lord that is going to benefit you eternally or is going to be a gift to you in eternity or is going to lead a lot of really hurt and broken people to that place where they can choose eternity with Jesus because of what's happened in your life. So, you know, that gift, that treasures out of darkness, I think those are really precious treasures they cost us a lot. They do. And if we didn't have those gifts to take out of darkness, I don't know that we'd really ever be able to understand what it was like for him to suffer. But he knew that the gift was on the other side. Yeah. It's because it says for joy, he suffered, right? Mm-hmm. For the joy he, set before him. He endured the cross. Yeah. So even though we're walking through hard things, and a lot of moms, I know, just in the last three years, miscarriages have increased exponentially, which is devastating to know that they aren't alone. Mm-hmm. And not so much like, oh, all these other women have experienced it, but you're not alone in those feelings of grief. You're not alone in that moment that you feel most alone. Yeah. And sometimes, I know you and I talked about this before, when you were experiencing that, I was pregnant mm-hmm. with my fifth. And I was devastated because I had already experienced a loss, which was earlier in my pregnancy, around five to six weeks, like right around just finding out I was pregnant and then lost it almost immediately. And that was hard. I didn't want people to talk to me. I didn't want to be around people. I just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. I just wanted to just sit with him in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that you were going through that and knowing there were no words that I could say. There was nothing that I could do to help you because the only thing that was going to help was for you to be in his arms, was for you to sit in his presence and just let him work you through that healing and that grief. And all I could do was pray. And that knowing that I loved you so deeply as a sister that I couldn't take that away from you was really hard. That I couldn't like... Just be like, hey, I know what that feels like. Just give it to me. I'll take it for you. Yeah. I'll man, carry I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I will carry that pain for you because I don't want you to know that pain of loss. But yeah, at the same true. time, trusting that the Lord knows what he's doing and there's 
There's a reason for you to walk through that. And honestly, the beauty that came out of that, not just this book that you are giving other people, other women hope, other men too, because let's be real, the dance experience that loss, yeah, they, they feel that pain just as deeply. And my husband still talks about my loss. He still mm-hmm. says, you know, I wonder if that was a son or a daughter. I wonder what it would be like to have seven children instead of six. <laughs> Sometimes we're counting and we're like, we feel like we're missing somebody still. Yeah. Or poor James, he's probably like, I wonder if that was the boy. What the hell the boy? It's too much for me. But, <laughs> you know, who knows? Not only the beautiful product or the joy on the other side that is this book, but it is you. The beauty that has come from you through that. For me, from the outside as a friend, to, to see you go through the healing of grief, as painful as it was to watch and pray for the absolutely stunning beauty of the flower that came out of it. I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade who you are now for that. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You know, um, it's true. I, I, I think I talk about that in the book. Like if I could have Eli now or later... The mama inside of me would choose him now, but I don't think I I wouldn't want to choose him and also not have what I have now. And I, uh, one thing that I I really marvel at God's beauty and the work that he's done through this in my life, because I think Eli never saw the world, you know, he never met a person, but he changed my life so much that everybody I know, how I minister, the way I'm able to connect with women, it's all different because of him, you know? And so in allowing God to move in my life the way that he did, it's like, Eli has a legacy, even though he, even though he never arrived here, you know, and it's, I think, you know, as moms, when we lose a child, whatever way, shape or form, we can make memorials out of, you know, out of holidays and things where they're not there, or they should be. And, and you know, I haven't lost a child to cancer or something like that. So I'm, I am sure that it would be hard and difficult to get through, mm-hmm. you know, this holidays and things like that. But, but coming through that place of healing really honors the life of the one that you lost. Because there's such a testimony in it, it deepens the quality of your love for Jesus, deepens the quality of your love for others. It changes the way that you pour out, you know, for good or bad. You know, if you don't, if you don't work through that grief, you know, that grief is the prize that you hold on to and it decays and it changes who you are and you become bitter and resentful and distant towards God and others. You know, you don't ever limit it just to God. You expand it to everyone. You become bitter towards everything. Yeah. You know, um, a dream fulfilled is like a tree of life. Um, I remember Joel Olstein telling a story about this little girl who really wanted a kitten. And the mom was like, we're not getting a kitten. But you know what? You can pray. And if the Lord gives you a kitten, you can have a kitten. And so that little, that little girl and her mom pray. A couple of days later, she's out in the backyard. <laughs> little cat. Come flying through the yard, like literally <laughs> flying through the yard. And uh, the little girl runs in. She's like, Mom, look. Like, I think the mom was watching. She saw it happen. This little kitten just, she didn't know where it just came flying through the yard. And um, it was a few weeks later, she's taking a walk. And I don't know, she got talking to a neighbor who talked about how they had, there was this kitten who had gotten caught up in their tree. And it was kind of a younger tree. <laughs> so her husband was like, I'll, I'll do it. We don't need to call for it, but I'll take care of this. So he tied something to the tree, attached it to his truck, <laughs> and was trying to pull the tree down so somebody could grab the kitten. But the whatever he <laughs> it broke and flung the kitten across the neighborhood. 
And the Holy Spirit just caught that kitten and dropped it right in that little girl's lap, you know. And and my friend says, she goes, oh, just I realize it's like a tree full of kittens. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so true, you know. And so it is. It is so true. And so the desire might have been a baby, but I've got to let my desire change to, you know, love him most, to be willing to love him most and not just say it like platitude wise, like, I know he loves me. I know he wants the best for me. I don't really want to think about it right now. But it, but yeah, I get it. You know, you got to let him dig deep. And so desire realize is a tree of life. And, and what is desire except abundant life? And so the question really becomes, what is abundant life? abundant life isn't things, if abundant life isn't a certain type of outcome, if abundant life, what is it? What is it? And that's one thing I really go into in that book is talking about how God had to reframe in my mind what was abundant life. And it really started with the story of another guy, uh, of somebody else who'd gone through something horrible and tragic and lived to tell about it. He brings up this reference that they go through and it says that, yeah, it says, let your hope be fully set on the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he said that when he read that, it was like his hope had been set on healing, not the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just, when I heard him say that, it was like something clicked inside of me. It reshuffled my deck. It wasn't that God wasn't listening to my prayers. It wasn't that God didn't care about my circumstances. It was that I'd set my hope on an outcome and not on a person. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the greatest revelation of all. You also said in your book, God's character isn't defined by this broken world and its broken system. His character is defined by what he can do in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly it. It's not about focusing on the healing or the restoration or whatever it is, the physical outcome we're expecting. Because we aren't physical beings, per se. Mm-hmm. We're eternal beings. So keeping our eyes set on the eternal I think that's why it says, you know, seek first his kingdom. You're seeking first eternity. And then everything else will fall where it's supposed to, right? All of these other things will be added. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, that the revelation of Jesus, and that is abundant life. That's what abundant life is. Yeah. And then it becomes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have abundant life. And what is life except Jesus? And so if I can have a revelation of the goodness or the glory, I think that's how the verse says it, the glory of Jesus, then what is that not worth? What is that revelation not worth? Like what price is too high to pay back? Well, I believe he's the best thing in the in, in in the world in the universe in the galaxy and so he's worth you know he's that he's that great prize that we sell everything for and we go and we buy the field right and we just have to buy into that he's good no matter what but it can't be a platitude like yes good no matter what then he's good enough to traverse the seas of grief with he's good enough to go through hard things with right absolutely you can't just use it as a platitude like oh god's good and i'll get it figured out in eternity no, God's good, so you can get it figured out to a certain degree right now. I concur. What, child? Okay, not right now, okay? You're going to slide it under the door? I don't think it's going to fit. Yeah, just you just hold on to it, okay? Slide it under the door. Because I locked my door. <laughs> and that was my eight-year-old. Tap, tap, tap. I need to charge my camera. <laughs> How did you do that? You stinker. Okay, go. Oh, Jess, I absolutely adore you. I 
Love you too. I thank you so much for giving me this time. I know you are a busy woman. You have lots going on with your kiddos and your church and studying for new things, new adventures and journeys in your life. I am really looking forward to your next book because this book was absolutely amazing, life-changing. So for any moms out there who have experienced loss, miscarriage, or if you have friends that have, I would highly recommend you go to Amazon and find Jess's book, From Graves to Gifts, The Power of His Presence in the Waves of Grief. Gift it to someone, read it yourself, buy a few of them because you may come across people just randomly that you think you need to give this to. And I know that might sound a little crazy, but there have been multiple books in my life that I've bought multiple copies and ended up handing every single one of them out. So I didn't even have one for myself. This would be one of those books for sure. And you know, it's not a very long read. It's not like a lot of information to get through or anything. No, I got through it. I mean, I'm a fast reader, but I got through it in like two hours with interruptions from my kids so and my husband. <laughs> so I would say it was a really good read because it feels like a conversation. It's very personable. So thank you for sharing your story. I'm okay. glad you letting me share with you guys and hopefully it can be a blessing and help people navigate whatever circumstances or situations they might be facing. Absolutely. You know, I think the thing that was really beautiful for me is that I realized whatever promise God was making to me, if it was for me, it was for anyone. That, that is, that's how this story ends. It ends with, with real hope, with a real promise. It ends with abundant life, I feel like. And uh, not abundant life where you look at it and you resent it because I got there. I feel like I wrote it because I wanted you to come with me. Yes. I wanted you to come with me and find the promise for yourself. And if he made the promise to me, then he's making the promise to you. And I guarantee you, he's got a promise that is just for you. If you just don't let him go. Amen. You know, I wonder what my life would be like if I could have been 20 and know what I know now. I know. I think that it's, you say, what youth and beauty are wasted on the young. It's so true. (laughs) You are still youthful and still beautiful. What are you talking about? Oh my goodness, you haven't, for all that you've been through, you have hardly aged a day. We are very sweet. How beautiful it is to know the Lord. It really is. It really is. He's good, too good to not share. I agree. Oh, and and here's one other thing. I don't know if you want to include this, but in the back of the book, I just totally lay it out about Jesus and what is faith and how you can come to know Jesus and faith. And so even if you're giving this to people who don't know the Lord, I talk about it in the end of the book. The permission to begin or to start over again. Yeah. Permission to start over again. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jess. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Check out the show notes for the Amazon link for Justice Book, From Graves to Gifts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stay at Home, Mom. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Goodies with an apostrophe, Gabbings, to see what's happening on the Goody Farm Homestead. And if you'd be so kind to click our affiliate link with Rejuva Minerals, which is a US-based company that I have personally been using for over 12 years and my children, as they get old enough to have makeup, are also using and thoroughly enjoying. We appreciate you. We pray that you have an amazingly blessed week and we will see you next Tuesday on Stay at Home, Mom. Mom.